Benedict XVI has published his apostolic letter called Porta Fidei, or Door of Faith in English. This document officially calls for the Year of the Faith. Greetings, I'm Father Jeff Kirby. And this is Valerie Sue. And we are opening the Porta Fidei. The Door of Faith, the show that explores the catechism of the Catholic Church in light of the year of faith. And in our show today, we're going to be discussing number 74 to number 79 of the Catechism of the Catholic Church. So, Father Kirby, I heard... <laughs> I know where this is going. <laughs> All right. You know, you're just not always so lucky with cars, and I hear that you've been having some transmission problems. <laughs> yes. Is this true? Yes, yes. In fact, I think I'm driving a rental car right now, so yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <That's awesome>. <laughs> <laughs> and so you know in a personal way very well that if transmissions don't work, if something is not being transmitted properly, well said. then it doesn't work. It doesn't work. That's right. Especially cars. Especially cars. I bring this up. Uh-huh. Good. I'm almost curious where this is going. Good, good, good. Where Thank you. Where is this going? I think it's a great analogy that we can learn from uh-huh. for ourselves as we're looking at paragraph 74 to 79 because we're looking at the transmission of uh, okay, divine revelation. There it is. Okay. See what I did there? <laughs> very good. Very so good. we know from your car that if it's not transmitting properly, it doesn't work. Well, the same thing with divine revelation. We've got Ooh. to be transmitting what God has revealed to us in Christ. So like we need... That proper transmission and so the church has something to say about that yes and (laughs) and the transmission of divine revelation exactly is the passing on basically Mm. of what we have received and the church has a powerful revelation a powerful deposit a powerful way of life that she wants to transmit but the heart of all that what are we transmitting because we can get stuck we can think well it's just this collection of teachings or it's just these rituals or it's just this moral way of life. We can get stuck in those, but actually the heart of what we're transmitting is boom, boom. (laughs) Paragraph 74, the very first sentence, God desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. That is what we are transmitting, that God desires all men to be saved. God desires me, Valerie, to be saved. To our listeners, God desires you to be saved. Some people think of God sitting up in heaven, pointing a finger and judging people, you know, and striking people with lightning and just think of God as the judge or think of God as the master and we are the slaves. It's like, no, God Mm. is the loving father and we are his children and he desires us to be saved. And when you desire something, you do something about it. It's not just this passive, oh, I want them to be saved, but he is desiring and longing for us to be saved. And that is the message that we're trying to tell people that there is a God, and not only is there a God, but our God is a loving Father who wants you to be saved. He wants to spend eternity with you. That's why he came down. It was a rescue <laughs> mission to rescue us, to make sure that we can be with him. So that is the message. That's the message of hope. Jesus Christ is the answer to all of our hopes, that mm. that is what we are transmitting. And, and Valerie, I very much appreciate what you're doing with number 74 of the Catechism of the Catholic Church, which, of course, is drawing on, on the scriptures. And I love the emphasis you're giving to that verb desire, Mm -hmm. that God desires 
each of us to be saved. As you're saying that, I'm sitting here listening and thinking, oh my goodness, yes, like God desires me, my salvation, my goodness. Like God is here. Yeah. God has come to me. Man, does that just change perspectives when we begin to realize God desires me. Yeah. He desires my salvation. He thirsts for you. I'm reminded of St. Therese of Lisieux, but then also Blessed Mother Teresa of Calcutta really tuned into that or honed in on that rather of when Jesus is on the cross and he says, I thirst, that it wasn't a physical thirst, but it was his spiritual thirst that he thirsts for us and he thirsts for our salvation. I remember Mother Teresa saying that thirsting is so much more than love in the sense of we know that Jesus loves us, but even more than that, he thirsts for us. Oh, and think about awesome. how much a man in the desert thirsts for water, you know, oh. that same concept. Absolutely. You know, later in the catechism, when it speaks of prayer, mm-hmm. it describes prayer as God's thirst meeting ours. Wow. And that is the birth of prayer. And I definitely want us in, in our show today to hold on to that as we discuss some of these other numbers, because I think that. When we hear all these words, transmission, revelation, all these things, if we're not careful, these can become very removed, very static, very cold, disconnected realities. And they shouldn't be at all. I mean, that transmission is not working out in that car. I mean, I'm not <laughs> driving it, you know. And, yeah. and we've got to understand, like, the power of this transmission. And what are we transmitting? God loves you. He desires you. He wants you to be with him. And all of the, the structures and the organism that God has given to us, the church, the sacraments, the sacred hierarchy, all of these things that God has given to us is for the sole purpose to let all humanity know God desires your salvation. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I get a little fired up over here. I like it. You no, know? it's so, true. Well, let's look at number 74 of the Catechism. We speak about this transmission And it speaks about that all revelation is contained in Jesus Christ. We spoke about that in our our last show. It goes on to number 75 of the Catechism, speaks about the apostolic tradition. What does that mean? Of course, apostolic coming from the apostles, tradition, this passing on. You know, that's another word, tradition, that I think a lot of people misunderstand. Like people think tradition, that means like very Victorian era, static, no progress, That is not how the scriptures or how our church understands tradition. Tradition is dynamic. It's constantly evolving. It is developing. I mean, there's a lot of stuff happening when we speak about tradition. So number 75 speaks about the apostolic tradition. And what that basically means is what? (laughs) Dum-dum. We have the fullness of revelation, as we know, of Jesus, and then he shares all these truths with his apostles when he was walking on the earth. The end of the Gospel of John, John, the author, says, and Jesus did many more things, and if we were to describe each one of them individually, the world would not yes. be able to contain the books. <laughs> so even just from kind of a more practical, historical standpoint, we know that there is a lot that Jesus taught to the apostles that wasn't written down, those oral traditions that then were entrusted to the apostles and that the apostles then came to continue to reflect upon, understand, and share with others, share with the church. So when we talk about that apostolic tradition, it's simply the truths of the faith that were passed from Jesus to the apostles 
and then from the apostles to their successors, who we now know today are bishops. And so it's that passing on down the line. Absolutely. And now that I tell you, number 75 speaks about when Jesus gave the commission uh, to the apostles. And it says, in preaching the gospel, they were to communicate, that is, the apostles were to communicate the gifts of God. The gifts of God to all men. Gifts, not rules. Absolutely. Absolutely. That gifts, the the encounters we call the sacraments, the the moral truths that help us to live as the children of God, these were gifts that are being communicated. You know, when Jesus, he had the apostles live with him for three years. Like they they saw him preach. They saw him do miracles. They, They themselves would eventually preach and do miracles in his name. They were with him. They ate with him. They walked with him, everything was with him. And you imagine in the course of that time, slowly the Lord was able to reveal his heart to them mm-hmm. and to for them to understand what he was doing, who he was. And eventually they themselves become transformed by their encounter with him and then after his ascension by the sending of his spirit upon them. So there's a radically personal dimension to this that we cannot forget that God in Jesus Christ gave his heart to the apostles and that the apostles then took care of the early community of disciples who also were given the Holy Spirit and were also given that mission. And as you described, that work has continued. But I just love that personal dimension and I love the fact that the Catechism of the Catholic Church number 75 speaks about giving the gifts of God. Now number 76 goes on and says, in keeping with the Lord's command, the gospel was handed on in two ways which is the first orally and second in writing. Yeah, exactly. Some things were written down. So we have that revelation that was then recorded in writing by the apostles and other men associated with them. But then we have all those things that were just passed on orally, even scriptural references where St. Paul will reference, make sure that you remember everything that I taught to you. And he's obviously referencing things that aren't written down, but just things that he taught orally um, to Timothy and to others. So we have this one message that came in the form of Jesus Christ, but then we have these two ways that it was that it was handed on, both orally and in writing. And, and I think that distinction given to us there in, in number 76 of the Catechism is, is certainly going to develop into some other yes. words that we're going to discuss in the, in the course of our show. But here it, it, it's going back to the heart being given to the apostles. And of course, orally, it's being said. And I love how all the Gospels, it, it records, Jesus said, Jesus said. And the Acts of the yeah. Apostles, when they recount, everything is Jesus said. So mm-hmm. we see this emphasis on this oral tradition that the Lord said. Paul goes so far in, in his letter to the Romans and say, one receives faith by hearing. Yeah. You know, it's like not by the Internet, not by, yeah. you know, books and so on. Those are all important to us. But one receives faith by hearing. So, yeah. of course, we're glad that our listeners are here <laughs> hearing us, you know. Yeah. But uh, we receive that by listening, by hearing. And, of course, eventually it was written down um, by some of the apostles and, and some of their disciples. Mm-hmm. Maybe one of the reasons we have trouble with this or we know that our Protestant brothers and sisters sometimes have trouble with thinking about this idea of apostolic tradition, this whole concept of oral tradition. That is something that we in the modern era just don't have a good grasp of. You know, writing things down wasn't like it is now, you know, back then. I mean, think about the classical 
Greek world and we think of Homer's Iliad and the Odyssey and how those were told orally, things are passed on orally. That's just how it was done. Yes, yes. And I think that that whole reality as well, I think that in our modern age, we tend to be very manualistic. Yeah. You know, we want everything written down or we want to be able to have it on a piece of paper. And in one sense, it, it, it almost adds a, a certain calculation or mm. control. Like I want it in my hands. I want to be able to read it. I want to be able to interpret it. I want to know what the source of it is and so on. You know, So in one sense, it's almost the contemporary obsession that sometimes spills over. And yeah. we think that in the ancient world, it must have been like that too. And, and as you're saying, no, it wasn't. And in fact, in the ancient world, there was no idea that one's importance was defined by their publicity, mm. you know, or that their importance or relevancy was determined by what was written down. That just was not at all in their way of thinking. Right. And of course, we see that biblically. This line of conversation, Valerie, actually reminds me of a great story. I've mentioned this to you before. When I was a seminarian in Rome, one of my responsibilities was to give tours to English-speaking pilgrims of oh, yes. St. Peter's Basilica. I love story. <laughs> <laughs> you know, St. Peter's Basilica and the catacombs and various things. And at one time, there was a group of very devout uh, Protestant young adults who I was giving a tour to one of our, our catacombs. And... In the catacombs, I was indicating, well, here you see the bishop offering the Eucharist, and here you see Our Lady holding the Christ child. Here you see uh, where a martyr's buried, and you see that all the other Christians just crowd in their burial places around the martyr. You can tell a martyr because it almost looks like a, a star from this martyr, but oh, wow. he crowns. They want to be yeah. buried by the martyr to be with him or her as they enter paradise. And so he was just pointing out all these different things. And one of the young adults asked me, well, um, where's this in the Bible? <laughs> oh, gosh. And I, I said, well, all of this was before there was a Bible. And it was from this, mm -hmm. the lived faith, the community mm -hmm. of faith, the apostolic memory, the oral tradition. It's from this that we get a Bible. Yeah. The book didn't come first. Right. That the sacred scriptures were born from the oral tradition and and as we would later call it the sacred tradition that it would be from this lived faith that we have this and i could just see the young man he was just shocked like what 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 because he had just never thought about that oh, yes yeah. like we had christian communities for decades before we had even some of the new testament and for even more decades before we even attempted to have a canon of the New Testament. And let's never forget that John wrote his gospel in probably the 90s or 100s. The Lord had been dead for already 60 years and arisen from the dead. So writing was not a high priority mm -hmm. in the early church. Mm -hmm. And they were comfortable with that. We're comfortable with that. Yeah. And I'm sure the the guy who asked that question, it was a very sincere question. Oh, yes. And we don't even stop to think about the history of it that, oh, yeah, we didn't actually have the book of the Bible until several hundred years later after all this happened and that it is from the living church. For those of you who are cradle Catholics, it's good to remember that it's not that Protestants are, you know, thinking about this and rejecting it. I think many of them just aren't thinking about it. I think it's blessed John Henry Newman who said, whoever is steeped in history cannot remain a Protestant or whoever is <laughs> steeped in history becomes Catholic or something like that. Because yeah. once you study history and you see, well, how is the early church living? I have a lot of Protestant friends who are wonderful people and want to get back to the roots. Let's get back to how 
the early church was living, you know, in Acts chapter 2. And when you do that, then you find that they're living what the Catholic Church is living. Oh, well, let's introduce Holy Communion because that was really important to the early church. And they start adding <laughs> these things. And before they know it, they've become Catholic. Absolutely. And, and I'm amazed how many converts are reading themselves into the church. Yeah. In particular, as you described, as with uh, Cardinal Newman, uh, so with many people who, inciting the early church in particular, are just reading themselves into the church. And and sometimes, as you're mentioning, Valerie, which is which is great, they almost do it by accident. They yeah. start reading, oh, we need to do this, or we read, oh, we need to do this, and then eventually <laughs> yeah. they find themselves Roman Catholic. It's like, welcome home, right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's awesome. For any of our listeners listening, you are joining us on Porta Fidei, a show which really reviews the Catechism of the Catholic Church in light of a year of faith. We want to thank you for joining us. We are discussing number 74 to 79, the Catechism of the Catholic Church. Valerie, I want to go to number 77 of the Catechism because it describes a lot of what you were summarizing. Mm. It says, in order that the full and living gospel, wow, the full and living gospel might always be preserved in the church, the apostles left bishops as their successors. I like it, Father Kirby. As you emphasized in reading that, the full and living gospel, the apostles left bishops as their successors. So we're not just left on our own. God didn't leave us orphans like, oh, here's the truth, and now good luck. We have people today who are preserving that living gospel, and so we have people who can guide us and who can speak to this, and so it is this living and dynamic gospel. It's not static. They're helping us to approach contemporary life through the light of the gospel. Absolutely, and I think about the role of the bishop. Uh, I was reminded a few years ago, I was at one of our Catholic high schools, and I was preparing them for a visit of of our bishop. And I was trying to explain to the high school students how important this was. Yeah. And of course, you know, they're, they're regular high school kids. So they're like, okay, whatever. But I pulled out the Acts of the Apostles and just recounted some of the scenes of the joy of the early Christians when an apostle visited their community. Yeah. You know, in particular St. Paul, but any of the apostles, how joyful they were. Yes. And trying to help these young people understand that for us in South Carolina, the Bishop of Charleston, who's the bishop of the entire state of South Carolina, that when he comes to a high school or to a parish, that's our apostle yep. <laughs> coming to visit us, a community of faith. And we should have the same joy and excitement when he comes to visit us mm-hmm. as the early Christians had in the Acts of the Apostles. Because here's our apostle, mm. the one who is sent, who comes to preach the good news to us, to give us strength. And his wisdom and his experience and the grace that he has is in service to our discipleship. So he comes not just to check on things or how's everything going, let me check the books, or whatever, mm-hmm. whatever people might think. But he comes in order to be the first witness mm-hmm. of the Christian faith to each of us and to give us strength by his office. The yes. same office that Jesus established with the apostles 2,000 years ago. And how can you not get excited about that? It really is amazing. This past Easter Triduum, I was got to be at the cathedral for Holy Thursday Mass, and the bishop was celebrating Mass and was there to wash the feet of 12 people who had been chosen from the parish. And just as I was watching him, you know, go through that symbolic ritual of, of washing the feet, I was just, as you were saying, Father Kirby, struck by, yes, he is our apostle. And just truth that that is, this image that God... The Father gave us the church in this way that we have these these shepherds who are really in service. I like that. The Catechism continues in, in its review of, 
of these different areas, it goes to number 78. So in number 77, it talks mm-hmm. about the apostolic office, the apostles and the bishops. And number 78, now we get to this word we, we've already referenced a couple of times, but it says this living transmission, we've definitely talked about that, yep. accomplished in the Holy Spirit is called tradition. Since it is distinct from sacred scripture, though closely connected to it. And I think that just makes sense. Okay, we have this transmission. It goes from Christ to the apostles to their successors. There is a transmission of truth, and we call that transmission tradition. With a capital T. With a capital T. That's right. (laughs) And we're going to explain to our listeners why we need a big T and a little T, not to be confused with Mr. T. Okay. (laughs) You know what I mean? You went there. I I did. I'm sorry. I had to. I pity the fool. You know what I'm saying? So. But we want to make this distinction between these two, you know. So in number 78, it talks about this tradition. And tradition, as we were saying earlier, is we cannot approach this as a static word. And and I know that in the minds of many people, tradition means conservatism. Tradition means stagnation. Tradition means all kinds of things. But when we approach tradition in regards to biblical perspectives, tradition is very active. It comes from the word traditio, which means to pass on. It's an action verb. I have traditioned. I have passed on something. And that's very important. Mm-hmm. And what are we passing on? First, our way of life. Mm-hmm. What does it mean to be a disciple of the Lord Jesus Christ? What does it mean to be in a community of faith? Not just a community to do philanthropy, not just a community because of a a common social interest, but we are united in faith that the Son of God desires all men to be saved, that he died, he rose again in glory, and that we now live in the glory and the freedom of the children of God. So this tradition is the way of life. It's what we do. It's our exploration and our discernment and our prayerful meditation on the Word of God. It's the celebration of the Eucharist. It's living what he has given to us through the centuries until he returns again in glory. So tradition is very active in how we approach this. So Father Kirby, a question to clarify. Tradition, has it stopped? Tradition with a capital T, because we often associate tradition with the early church. And that's a great question, Valerie. And there's an appropriateness for us to kind of associate tradition, capital T, (laughs) with the early church. But... Really, tradition continues because tradition, scripture, and the magisterium, the magisterium being the bishops and the pope, the the teaching authority of Christ given unto these shepherds, that there's a constant dynamism, and the magisterium continues to add what we say monuments to tradition. What do I mean by that? Well, imagine if you were just walking in a park, and suddenly you had monuments, like, oh, look, you know, there's a a a former general, oh, look, there's Mm -hmm. a former president, and so on. We have different monuments, and tradition is the walk. Remember, it's an active verb. We are walking. That's the tradition. And we talk about these monuments, so it's like, oh, look, there are the creeds of the ecumenical council. Oh, look, there's the catechism of the Catholic Church. Oh, look, there's the lives of the saints. Oh, look, there's the liturgy. We have different monuments of sacred tradition. The magisterium can continue to add monuments as we explore and discern the ways of God and that revelation has been given to us. So, for example, the Second Vatican Council is a monument to sacred tradition. Mm. The Catechism of the Catholic Church, 20th anniversary we celebrate this year, a monument of sacred tradition, and so on. So monuments are continuing to be active, and tradition is fluid under the guidance of the Holy Spirit and of the Magisterium. So very important for us to understand that. Kind of exciting, isn't it? It is. 
But that will bring us to number 79. Number 79, just to continue in this talk of apostolic succession, uh, 79 will say that the Father's self-communication made through his word in the Holy Spirit remains present and active in the church. The Father's self-communication. What do you think about that, Father Kirby? Wow, wow, wow. I mean, I hear self-communication. I think revelation. I think disclosure. I think transparency. I think Mm -hmm. love. Mm -hmm. I think love. Mm -hmm. His self-communication that God will allow us to share in the knowledge he has of himself. So, yeah, I'm a fan. (laughs) (laughs) It's amazing. Yeah, it's that kind of that whole idea of that God invites us to live in communion with the Trinity. He wants us to not just know about him, but to know his very self. Yes. And we can see that even in, in, in our human relationships. You know, there are a lot of people we know, mm. associates or people that, that we just know. And maybe even out of kindness, we might call them friends and so on. But then there are people who really know us, yeah. you know, that are true friends, companions along the way. Obviously, in marriage, I, I pray that the spouses are are these type of friends. Also, in the broader community of faith, we have these friends, fellow disciples, very, very important. You yeah. know, and if we can understand on the human level, my goodness, that God would want to be our friend, seek us out, desire us and our mm-hmm. salvation, and that He would give us His knowledge of Himself. Mm-hmm. That's powerful. That's intimate. That's love. That's salvation. That's salvation. (laughs) Amen. (laughs) Amen. Show's over. No, you know, we don't need to say anything else. It's all there. That's it. That's it. Nothing else to be said, you know. (laughs) I love it. I love it. You know, I want to just say that, you know, these numbers here, number 74, number 79, the Catechism of the Catholic Church, how much hope, and I know, as, as we said at the beginning of the show, so many people can approach these statically or as we move. These are big words, transmission, tradition, revelation. But once we get beyond that, we just look at the reality that's being expressed. It's about a God who loved us, loves us, a God who desires our salvation, who sent his son. His son gave his heart to his apostles. His apostles continue to teach the body of believers. And one day we'll all be with him in paradise. Mm-hmm. You just got to love that. Yeah. You can say it in a sentence just like that, but then it's just so profound. That is what we're really being called to in the new evangelization. I'm sure listeners have heard that phrase a lot lately. The new evangelization, that phrase was first used by Blessed John Paul II when he was Pope, that we need to repropose the gospel to those we assume already heard it, but it hasn't really taken root in their heart. Not that we ever abandon it, but just to repropose it in a way that can really speak to the people of today. Yes, and we repropose it to ourselves every yes. day. Amen. <laughs> well, thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you will tune in for our next episode of Porta Fide. May God bless you and keep you. And have a peaceful day. This is Father Jeff Kirby. You can reach me at charlestonvocations.com as well as on Facebook, also Charleston Vocations. Hope you visit our website or visit us on Facebook. Thanks. And this is Valerie Soup. You can reach me at the website catholicyoungadultsofsc.com. That's catholicyoungadultsofsc for South Carolina.com. And you can also follow us on Facebook and on Twitter. 